Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Well, good morning, everyone. As all of our systems are syncing up together, good morning, social media world. We're all over the world. It's another Thursday. And as we always like to say, we don't know where we're going. We're going down God's way today. This is why we have renamed the show the Jesus and Paula Show, because Jesus is driving this. And what's great is on the rare occasions that he actually gets somebody who lets him take control, and stay in control, we always end up in the deep realms of his truth, um, clarifying error, coming against things that we thought were God, that were not, that were really man. What I love is how we separate what is scripture and what is doctrine and what we've been standing on. Have we been standing on the word? And I think the more I find out what is and is not God that we've been taught, it, it makes a lot of sense. It, at first you feel really terrible. Like, do I know Jesus at all? I mean, I had a post-assessment advisor yesterday with someone. I said, so what did you think about the question? She said, honestly, I thought, am I even saved? <laughs> Do I know the Lord? <laughs> okay, I said, that's a common, common response. After you get over the shock and awe and crying and you pull yourself together, then it brings to me a measure of relief because the conflicts and the questions that you have, you discover are not actually the Lord. They're what people did with what he did, but not him. And so that's when you find out, oh, he's not confusing. He actually makes sense. We have muddied the waters. He did not. Huh. He did say this throughout his whole scripture. We were taught that that's Old Testament only, and this is the new one. We don't need them. Then you find out everything the new is standing on is in the old. And you're like, oh, wow. And now it all makes sense. Why? Even after Jesus came, we, he still canonized the whole work. If he only needed the gospel, then that's all he would have said was his work. But he came standing on the foundation of the prophets. And on and on and on we go. And so uh, that is what I really love. Now, one of the, we're going to show a video clip uh, to you all. And one of the things that I love about this is this is an interview. You've seen a couple of these videos floating around on social media where Dr. Price answers questions. She was interviewed, how in the world did you get into ministry? Why in the world did you move to Tulsa? That's what's up today. She, we always say now she is the first come homer. She came home to Jesus Christ in Tulsa. It was a hard reset. Before hard reset was a thing, it was a thing. It was real. <laughs> okay? So today's video after today's broadcast, if you have not seen it, on uh, well, right now it's only on Facebook, but we'll put it on the other platforms as well is the question, why did you move to Tulsa? And she answers it in like one or two minutes. And, you know, it took 20 years to play out, but we can answer the question very succinctly. So another question that has been floating around, and now this interview actually technically was recorded a few years ago. But the question was, uh, is Christianity racist? That's, what, that's what's being said now, because the whole campaign is 
not to get President Trump back into office and anything that they can throw. Now, this argument is not new about Christianity being racist, but it has certainly resurfaced as a uh, campaign spearhead against conservatism, Christianity. You know, people just lump it all together, even though it really isn't. Um, but, and so the argument is, well, Christianity is the white man's Jesus. And so we don't want the white man's Jesus. And the question, and how many of you have heard that in the studio, that is, is Christianity? And how many of us have not really had an answer until now? Because we know you don't have to raise your hand because you give answers. <laughs> it looks like, well, you can't see. She crossed her arms. <laughs> and so we're going to go to this video clip. Sorry, studio audience. You can't hear it just yet, okay? But where she answers, hmm? oh, okay, where she answers about is Christianity racist? So, P.T. Rachel, look at that clip. that was really important to listen to and watch today because of where we are and to know how to respond from God's mind with something that makes sense 
other than because God's love. So he's not racist because he's loved. And to go beyond that, I thought the points that Dr. Price brought out were just excellent. How race typing Jesus is to say that he's not God. Just putting that phrase together, who would ever say that you are race typing Jesus? It's like, I, who would say that about, I'm not saying Jesus is a racist. I'm saying Christianity is. Well, um, Christ, Christian. Okay. It's it's like somebody saying they love your family, they just hate your spouse. Okay. But you understand that if you hate my spouse, you can't love my family. And even my children are an extension of my spouse. And that's how we kind of do with God. So we we're, we like you, but we just don't like everything that you've produced. And uh, so I encourage you all to go back through that. We're going to upload that question as well as its own. So you can go back to the broadcast and watch it, or you can watch it again on YouTube and everywhere else it's going to be. And so uh, race typing, and so that's where you can start because right now racism is the reoccurring hot button. It just gets people to stop thinking and start feeling. And that's not just about burning things down and not trusting people and doing all the things that we do, but now it is the next level with that is, again, still attacking Jesus Christ. But you have to know your whole word in order to really be able to defend Jesus Christ. I mean, you heard how she ran down scriptures in the end. You need to know Colossians chapter 1. That's a powerful chapter in order to sew and weave all of this together. So another question, I just love finding these questions. I'll say, yes. Another question that um, is often asked of Dr. Price and people like her, meaning You're starting something that goes against the grain, no matter what it is. And when people start sacrificing for something that is not yet as popular as other things, or when it's in its infancy stage, or whenever it's just new to them, okay? We've been around for two decades in Tulsa, been online for a decade, been broadcasting for a lot of years. So we always think that when something is new to us, that it's actually new. How, how many of us have been there, and I, I've been there, even with worship music, I'm like, man, this song is awesome. It's amazing. And so I was like, oh, yeah, it's about five years old. I'm like, can you pretend to be happy that I just discovered it? Please? <laughs> can you just say hallelujah, testify with me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, what was it, girl, you just discovered that? Man, where you been? Have you tried this new restaurant? Oh, yeah, it's been around for like three years. Really? I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah, we go there all the time. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, that is good. That's old school. You in old school. Look, don't offend me by saying old school and I just discovered it. (laughs) Okay? So we act like that. When we encounter something that is new to us, we say that it's new to the world. How many people have just discovered Dr. Price? Doesn't mean she just got here yesterday. We just, you might have just connected yesterday. And so we bring everything down to our personal experience. We bring it down to how we encountered it. And so the next question that she is answering is, how do you deal with the accusation of being a cult, which plagues anything new, 
anything where people are shifting, they're changing, and please, if you start putting your money in it and people don't agree with it, if you start shifting and transforming and changing your life, now, in Christianity, there's a negative application. But in the world, they'll say it's a cult hit. It's a cult classic. So it'll be those things that may be offbeat of what's normal, but it's a huge success. But in Christendom, if you're not moving to the march of the common, the norm, whatever the established powers that be are, and you rock the boat, and you don't follow suit, and people are shifting and changing, and especially if it's for God, because if you're doing it for the Lord, then it must be some sort of manipulation happening. I mean, when we were in college, you're just being manipulated by Dr. Price's prophecy. I'm thinking there's not a prophecy on the planet that can convince me to stay in this warfare. So I know that can't be it. There is not one. I said, really? So we're that dumb. And so we had to tell people, so you think we're that stupid to just, what, be brainwashed by a prophetic word? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're not saying that is what you're saying because we decided to be sold out. You know how many people told us you don't need to waste your youth on Jesus? Wow. Christians, wow. you don't need to waste your youth in ministry. You ladies need to, because, hey, it could be too late. You're going to look up and be too old to have kids and get married. Okay, look, really? And, I mean, for years, years, we were told that. Oh, that's right, because y'all, y'all can't date because you're in that cult. Uh, no, that's actually never been said. That you, you, can't, you can't do whatever because, uh-uh, listen, this is why I love taking it on. Because we take it on. Now, I know this is the Jesus and Paula show, but it's the same hope of taking it on. And so we're going to take on this issue in these opening statements and comments before we get into whatever the Lord has for us today through the mouth of his chief apostle, Dr. Paul Price. And so with that, it's, so whenever it's for God, whenever it's for Christianity, whenever it's for the Lord, then it's a cult. Or really any religion. I mean, when people want to shift and change anything that provokes you to separate from your family, that must be a cult. Now, people don't say that about the military. Because nothing is going to separate you from your family like orders from the military. I'm sorry that you just got married. You are going to be deployed for two years in some non-disclosed location. And maybe you can get an email through every now and again. That's what you signed up for. Missionaries. We talked about missionaries the Tuesday night broadcast. But missionaries, well, you tell your family you have to go to the mission field. Oh, you're doing something noble. At least in that aspect, it's nobility. But when you reroute and redirect and change your life for the Lord in any other kind of capacity, maybe except for school, then all of a sudden, you're a cult. And so today, we're going to give you how to answer that. And it could be because you're here. It could be because you're anywhere. It doesn't really matter when somebody throws that in your face when it comes to Jesus Christ, because we have made Jesus Christ an accessory to our lives. Christianity is an accessory. Oh, you go to church because we just had this conversation with somebody the other day, the, the new Fandango model of churches, which is really not that new, but it's become more popular. You meet once or twice a week in the facility, two big rooms, 
one big room for the adults, one big room for the kids, and then maybe another smaller room for the, for the babies. No room to facilitate your life with the, with the Lord during the week outside of those one or two times that you have church. Do you know how many churches do not come together in the middle of the week for anything? Some don't have a, an official midweek service. They have midweek classes, midweek breakdowns, midweek uh, discipleship, something where you still come back together and you're learning and you're iron sharpening iron and you're doing all of the things. But a lot of churches don't have that. You heard people in, play your 2.5 songs, get your 45-minute message, don't get so that seed, and you're out the door. And check, we've done church for the week. Excellent job. Excellent. If it's summertime, hey, guys, we know it's summertime. We'll see you in the fall. <laughs> How many people? When I grew up, I could not understand the mentality that you need to take the summer off from church or midweek service. Well, it's the summertime, and, and this is actually when you have more time. At least your kids do because they're not in all the sports except for if you're uh, warm enough for football and things like that. And the mentality of, well, there needs to be an off-season for church. It's a holiday, so I'm just going to not commit. Well, I just wasn't feeling that. I decided to stay home. So you plow through a whole week of work, sweating, coughing, hacking all over people. And the place where you can get healed and whole, maybe, because maybe your church doesn't do that. I mean, this is why, as our apostles have been saying, the president had to tell everybody the church is an essential service. But are all of them? Because not all of these places are essential, as we see. So this this is a, the question of how do you address the cult accusation? Thank you. 
What I love about that clip is how she starts the answer. Oh, well, when people say that about me, it's because they don't know scripture, because they don't know the word. It's, it's obvious. <laughs> and whenever you bring it back down to that, because sometimes you have to say to people, find in scripture where this is all. Now, that question alone infuriates people because they don't know the word. They don't know how to find something in scripture because many things that the Lord says in scripture are is not in the language in which they want to search it out. Plus, they don't even know how to use search engines. I mean, sometimes we just dump our brain when it comes to finding out things in Christ and in God. And that's a really relevant statement to make, but... Uh, because the subject has come up, and I think it came up last week, and we're actually going to be posting and broadcasting for you an after show from last week. And so you'll be able to see, don't you guys love the after show? Yes. Sometimes you get one, sometimes you don't. Depends on the flow, depends on the schedule, <laughs> the after show schedule, and what uh, what Dr. Price has to do and what we're doing in the kingdom. But I wanted to share those two clips with you today to, to arm you, equip you, to give you answers, or to share them with other people who genuinely, because I will say this, and then we're going to bring on our incomparable host, that people have been taught very poorly. So sometimes that challenge is a challenge based out of ignorance, not out of hate. Now, some people are haters, Okay. But a lot of people have been reared in bad, 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 bad doctrine and flat-out error. And uh, Dr. Paula Price, keep Apostle Paula Price. Amen. Who's on her way to be 100%. Oh, I'm 73. She's 73% back, y'all. Take your vitamins. 73%. Take your vitamins because this is 73%. Uh, 73% geared up. Ready to take it on. Yes. That Jesus empowers. Yes. Well, you know, and we get the top billing because we expect him to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying now, Jesus, I'm gonna need you to take over because we know how your folks are special. <laughs> <laughs> I said you got a real family and they are really <laughs> you know, just to um, pick up from what you just said about the the training of the church, you know, I grew up in the inner city, which we know, and we went to school in inner city. You know, obviously, we went to small black schools in my area. You know, there was no, there's nothing. And so um, we, where we grew up, we got secondary books, inferior teachers. You have some special bright, shining stars, but for the most part, you had inferior teachers, well-meaning souls who just want to see to it that the black kids get some education that we can definitely get us going. So we had that. We were in environments where it was very hostile. Unity was not necessarily the way to go. So you all know that because it was about survival. When you're in the city, it's survival. And you know, and, and, and whether it's the survival of the fittest or the sneakiest, it's still about survival. Because some people may not be fit, but they're sneaky, and they're good. You know, and some right. more cunning than anybody in yeah. okay? Yeah. So when you have, so if, if you're a kid born into that, that's all you know. Mm-hmm. 
You don't know that you're not good. You don't know that you don't have all the information. You don't know that there's more to learn. You rarely, we did, I mean, our little trips might have been to the, to the park. That was a school trip that let us go to the park. So when you think about that and you grow up and you get, you graduate, you move on to the, and, or either you step out into the world, you realize that there's A, more to know, B, what you got was handed down, Inferior, insignificant, and see, you're ill-equipped to forget, compete, participate in your community or in the world. So the first, your first 10, 12 years are all a learning experience. You're learning all of the things that you were precluded from knowing in that little bowl that you had. And so I see the church like that. The church under pastoral leadership has been... Um, Baby shot, it's been fed, you know, pablum, it's been, you know, trained. But but the church, these people who come at you, they come at you as if they have a high education, they have a lot of world experience, they've traveled the world. They come at you as if they've had the equipment, the experience, and even the expertise to tell you you're wrong based on their confined and very narrow exposure to the things that they're accusing you of. Right. Because the church, when you think about it, and I've said it over and over again, I don't know if it endears me, but then after all of this time, I'm either dear or not. <laughs> but I've said it. The word of God did not come to the pastor's mantle. If the word of God didn't come to the pastor's mantle, then they have no legacy in the word of God. And so, you know, the word legacy comes up, it can be traced back to the word legat or legit, depending on what it is, legat, which means legal attachment. Apostles and prophets were attached to the Godhead. You have to be, in a, literally, we have got to be uh, attached to God. We, you know, we can't just be an acute, uh, an accoutrement. Mm-hmm. We've got to be an attachment. So they're attached to God. And I say this because it's important for you to know that the word of God came to them. Paul even said, he said, did the word of God come to you? Mm-hmm. Did he say that? The word of God didn't come to pastors. It was passed on to pastors by apostles and prophets. They teach the Bible as if apostles and prophets weren't even in it. That's true. That's true. I was like, how do you do that? So what, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that may have been okay. You know, when you think about the word of faith, charismatic movement, I mean, it was an essential, in some ways, a very essential rebellious uprising. Mm-hmm. Traditional institutions had just overstepped their bounds. They were suffocating people. Gifts couldn't be, you know, people were hearing from God and, and couldn't. Uh, obey the Lord within their denominations, within their institutional structure. So there was, you know, God uses that as well. But the bottom line is the breakaway, God was looking for an extension. They wanted a rupture. Mm-hmm. So we ruptured the fabric of the church. Mm-hmm. We didn't intend to because a lot of times, you know, we were talking yesterday, you know, the, the plotters of this whole machine of Black Lives Matter and, of, uh, 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 you know, Antifa and all of that, they just went out and the igniters went out and ignited it. But, you know, like anything you ignite, a fire takes on the life of its own. Right. Right. And it runs its own course. Right. 
So we ended up doing that, and it was needful because we would have never gotten apostles and prophets reinstalled in the church. Mm-hmm. The bishops were ruled. And, you know, archbishop, archdeacon, arch, arch. You ever notice that, that we can't call ourselves chief apostles, but they can call themselves arch, arch. Arch, 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 but does anybody know that, that arch is the Greek for chief? Chief is the Greek for arch? Okay? Okay? And so uh, I can clear it all up because it came, because it came, everything came to a prophet first. And the one thing I cannot, I, I'm not prophesying, I'm not predicting, I'm decreeing. This church is going to come under prophets and apostles because God ruptured it the same way it ruptured itself. He ruptured it to reinsert them. We keep talking about a new wine skin. We keep talking about new wine. Has anybody defined the new wine? We're still running on the on the slogan. We keep running on slogans. We're slaves to slogans. Does anybody tell you what the new wine skin is? They don't tell you it's cell. They don't tell you it's structure. They don't tell you it's atomic anything. They're just talking about all it is is a buzzword. Yes, we got songs about it and everything. And I said what, the, what, what a student needs to do is say, define that new wine. What, what are you saying? What vintage are we talking about? How much proof is it? What is the percentage of what by volume? Because that's the problem. The church doesn't ask questions, which is why we keep getting pushed in the face, and people just keep literally running up on us, telling us, my voice is bigger, my words are smarter or not, my my passion and my deal is more fervent, so I'm right. No. Not here. Not so. Who's told us what the new garment is? Do we know the fabric? Do we know the thread count? Do we know the weaving and the weaver? Do we know the original? Was this, is it, is, do we have silk? Or do we, how much uh, polyester do we have in this? How much man-made do we have in this? All right? Uh, okay, get it. Does it wrinkle easy? Because God's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. So how quickly is our new God? Because the word of God came to the apostles' mantle and the prophets' mantle. I can ask you questions that you don't think about. Pastors don't think about that, and they don't have to. All pastors want you to do is behave in their church, find their vision, stand when they tell you, sit when they tell you, pray when they tell you, and by all means, behave yourself, love your neighbor. Oh, yeah, oh, how do I miss Give her a bell. She needs a bell for that. But, that, but and they, and to them, to them, the mature Christian is the one that does not, does not push back, does not, right, that, right. well, you know, that loves their neighbor no matter what, even if, and they runs around talking about Jesus and love, and it might be Cupid, might be Apollos, we don't know what Jesus they're talking about, because they always tie it up with marriage and babies, so that means it's a lustful thing. Yeah, but we did give you a bell. Good. Yeah, but you're using a bell. You, you're good? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is about dating and mating. That's Cupid. That's, that's not Yeshua right. Hamashiach. Come on. That is Cupid. That's Apollo. That's all those 
deities that are trying to reassert themselves back in the church. The, the church needs a class on fertility deities because you might not understand that you are serving another God. You want to talk to me, Pastor, about it, and you got bishop, and you got your church up there celebrating Valentine's Day, people licking and laughing in the pool. So that is a fertility orgy. So don't talk to me about a cult. Because y'all do a lot of cultic things that are defined academically, historically, and they are defined as cultish activities. Laughing in the church, finding each other in the church, that's cult. That's why I said church needs to understand what cult means. Cult means literally rendering the services of a deity according to its pleasure in order to receive its blessings and favor. That's a cult. So we're doing that for Jesus Christ. We don't have to lick and laugh. We don't have to fondle and tap. We don't have to run around there trying to find a husband. We don't have to do that. We don't have to pat ourselves up. We don't have to pierce ourselves. All of those is occultic behavior. So the next time you call someone a cult, pull out your dictionary, pull out your encyclopedia, and run down the list. Do a criteria on what is a cult. What defines a cult? So when people tell me, well, I was, you know, 25 years ago, I was just trying to be like, <laughs> we didn't know you then. No. no. Aren't you But this is 25 years later. And all your cultishness has torn up this man's church. Your kids coming in there dressed for Ishtar rituals. See, I, when I say it, I know what I'm talking about. Your daughters are coming in there with a half dress. We're talking about body con. We're talking about short this and tight that. And when you study the Ishtar cult, that's what they did. And the fathers took their daughters, because your father wants you to get a boyfriend, the fathers took their daughters to Ishtar temple and made them all crowd up there every morning, hoping one of the priests would come out and have sex with their daughters, because in Ishtar cult, nobody married a virgin. So what is their push today? Don't be a virgin. And they want you to feel bad because you haven't had 72 million or billion sperm up in your behind. Excuse me. We're going to cut that. We're going to cut that. But right now, so y'all better catch it. But I want you to hear me. And I need you to understand. You're talking about from the age of 12 to you get married at 35 or 40. Do you know how much male material? Or female. Material you have in your body that you're taking and you're proud of it. And so then you want to make us feel bad because we want to go clean. Come on, Come on, Come on. Thank you. Thank you. So when you call. <laughs> I said, we're going to cut it. She said, we're going to share it.
earn, they can try to earn their right so they can go and do some good deeds so they can get back up there with the pantheon's approval. Wow. I'm going to go crazy. See, because, you know what, the issue is that you're, because we so are in love with the sensation and the, the overlying, the overlaying mirage that the devil's put over it, you don't see. Look in those women's eyes. Oh, yeah. And two things you won't see. Number one, you won't see that their eyes are off-centered because their soul and their spirits are not upright in them. But the second thing you're going to see is beneath that woman's eyes, there's a male eye. Oh, wow. And that's the spirit driving it. Stop just looking at the beauty. Stop looking at the makeup. All of those are cosmetics. Right. Oh. Oh. In, the, in, in the ancient world, when a deity chose a woman, a fallen angel, we found as a deity chose a woman, the first thing he did was remake her because they could not touch mortals who were not upgraded by their hands. Wow. That's why makeup is such a big deal. Cosmetics are a big deal. Uniform and articles of, of ritual worship, they're all popular today to let you know that the church laid down and let this thing take over. Woo. So, don't, so, so brother, sister, church, don't talk to me about cult, because I bet you I can find more cult signatures in your worship. Ever my mom. Yeah. <laughs> 35 years. I'm coming up on 37 years, and I have fought this thing a long time. People are so Ambulance is on standby. that <laughs> <laughs> I'm already flatlining. <laughs> so when they start talking cult, I want the list. Give me a list of what you call cult signatures and cult indicators, and I'm going to give you my list. Come on. Okay? Because all I have to do is come in your church and see how many switchers I've got up there wearing a tie. That's going to tell me where the cult is. <laughs> how many city man pants up in there? That's the All right? Here's the thing. With Jesus. As fallen goddesses, because devils are, were never given a wife, must make men homosexual. You want to know what the rise is? That's what it is. When we see on Mount Carmel, when we read on Mount Carmel, Elijah clashing with the 400 prophets of Baal. Does anybody remember what else is that? 430 prophets of Asheron. They were all homosexuals. Do your homework. You want to bling around stuff? Do your homework. That's what I'm going to do. Your homework. My research is it's in my, I wrote a dictionary. It's my dictionary. I got one of them. And my dictionary, you can find out how cultures are like this. So that road, let me tell you, I'm being, I'm being honest, that, that road in the 80s and in the 90s, because we did not have this, this whole warfare that we're facing. Because in the 80s and 90s, they were they were already underground, priming for us. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. While we were walking around saying, I'm fly away. Uh, we're trying to get out of here. We've been trying to get out of here since we got in Because we, were, we got that head for the hills mentality. Woo. You know, fathership, take us away. That's what we've been doing. While they... Looking at the 
God. Because you understand, Satan cannot do anything but fulfill the word of God like you. He, he, has no, he has no education. He, all, everything that Satan does is a 100% antithesis of his life and eternity. 100% antithesis. That means opposite. So he's doing what makes God's kingdoms work by reversing it. I mean, you talk about churches. You're going to churches who have black boxes dark pulpit, and you want to talk to me about a cult? You got to sit there and look at your minister in the darkness and think you're going to get revelation. You know revelation means light. <laughs> you know, that what Jesus said, because, you know, Paul wrote, that which reveals is the day. The day reveals, not nighttime, midnight or dark devil. And then you wonder why God is closing your church. God's like, it hasn't been mine for you. So I'm just like, like any other top leader, I'm taking dead weight off my books. Okay? You want a little black cubicle? Hey, get out of my building. I got somebody else to do it. And because Jesus is a theology, you don't give him credit for personality. And people, persons, personas, respond. They react. But you went into this and thinking, this is my personal Jesus. No, that's your terrifying. Because, <laughs> see, if your personal Jesus is that, then why are you trying to change his personality? I don't want to receive God like that. This is my personal faith. You know, in heaven, they don't have a whole list of things called faith. Faith is their whole entire ecology. They're they don't have to do what we do. So in heaven, they don't have a religion. Because you need to have a separation when there's an alternative. Right. There's no alternative to God in heaven. And the alternative that rolls up, Revelation 12, world to the earth. We got rid of them and sent them down here. You have religious options here. In God's world, you have redemption. Mm-hmm. That is why we we don't fit the classic classic definition of a religion, <laughs> because we are not a religion. Satan, the the, the two hundred angels or so that, that left heaven to come down to earth, they created religion, and the reason they created it as religion so that all of the fallen angels could have their particular cultist rituals, so that they can gather their bodies. Because remember, they lost their body falling down. So religion is of the world, and the reason religion is demonic is because devils invented it. And they invented it because they found out, as big and bad as they were, when they all hit earth and God took his, kept his body, you know, God keeps his stuff. When you leave Jesus, he takes his stuff back. Yeah. He said, because I'm going on and I need somebody. I need you like your company. How many of y'all leave your company and think the company's going to die because you left? <laughs> no, no. Institutions also take on a life and a force and a resilience and a determination of their own. We're going to be around, and they just look for the next human to fill the void. So religion was actually created because devils didn't have a reason to make humans obey them. They didn't have a, they, they had a reason, their selfish motivation, but they had no pathway. 
So religion, what do we call religion? A path. There are many paths leading to Jesus Christ. No, just like there's only one path to you. To get inside you, they got to go through you. They can't go through your mama. They can't go through your devil, your daddy, or your devil. But let me tell you, because religion is this. This is what you need to know. You have to separate ritual and and uh, ritual and the rituals of religion from the deity. The deity is a person. So what Satan did was he depersonalized every spirit that he has promised and given access to the human population or the human race. So you only deal with the attributes. Okay. And that was good to me. I agree <laughs> So everything about with religion is about attributes and how you apply the attributes to your search, to your satisfaction. Y'all better stop, because you know I'm laying down something here. This is so worthy. What else? Talk about it. Okay. So religion is the way a deity wants to be worshipped and requires you to ritualize in order to stay in its favor enough to tap into its treasury, to tap into its dispensation. So they, and where, where did Satan get that from? God? He couldn't come up with it because he's a creative being. So when you think religion versus redemption, Christians, and we are, and the world calls us Christian because God calls us the elect. I like that. We, that means God exercised his options too. <laughs> he created his options and then he exercised them. Yeah. So we're the elect of God. And we are the elect because we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, Dr. Price, where does the religious piece come in? We were in Christ before the foundation of the world. Our spirits were in Christ. To prove that, day six, God makes male and female. Day seven, day seven, day eight, he embodies them. I don't know about you, but that, to me, clears up a whole lot of stuff. So we're in Christ before the foundation of the world. But then God must do something to get us from being seed to being. So to move us from seed in Christ to being, right, he made Adam and he made his wife. And he put all of our soulological stuff in Adam's sperm. How else he going to get us invited? I said to someone this week, I said, interesting thing that proves the point. You can find eggs and sperm, but you can't find sperm in eggs. Because when a sperm enters an egg, it goes through the reproductive process. How do I know that? Because Eve was an Adam. Eve was in Adam. When Adam was embodied, when God breathed into Adam and man became a living soul, Eve's soul came too. Theology to technology. So Eve was in Adam. So you can find, because we found woman in man, that means we can find eggs in his original sperm. Wow. 
just to make y'all happy. Y'all, y'all, get, y'all get a little tense. Let me slap a little something. There you go. So think about it, because that's why God so heavily judged Adam. So for however long it took for Adam to name all of the itty-bitties, makeup, whatever creatures that God had, because everything on earth that was moved, they had life, Adam had to name it for however long Eve was in him. And all of her reproductivity in him as well. So I want you to think about this. Why did God do it? Because God wanted everything that was in Christ before the foundation of the world, before creation, everything. We are older than creation, people, because we were in Christ. And Christ is the first thing God made. Because now, I'm going to tell you right now, I will say this to you, we have to start talking our superlatives instead of our inferiority. We keep talking about humility. We are humble to God and we're humble for God's sake. But humility does not mean idiocy. You're humble because you choose to do it God's way. And God will humble you when his superlative becomes the, the hotbed of your ego. Mm-hmm. And he's going to crush you. Mm-hmm. And he's going to crush you because you'll go crushing people and you don't know the ones that he wants to crush and what the ones that he doesn't. Yeah. So he will humble you so that you take on the mind and the options and the choices, etc., of Jesus Christ. So we were in Christ before the foundation of the world to get Christ's replicants, to get Christ siblings to get Christ of bodies and beings. In other words, all of Jesus Christ's offspring, he had to put it in clay. How do you get a, a, a being in clay? So he puts us in clay, thus Adam being the clay. And so we, all the while we were in Adam, we were Jesus' exact offspring. You know, most people don't know, Apostle Ashley, that when you read Genesis, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, our image according to our likeness, is not the same, it sounds like it, as what God says when Noah comes out of the boat. God changes it. And so, when he when the garden don't eat, don't eat, he doesn't even have to tell them what they, eat, what they can't eat. He just tells them what they can't. When we get out of the boat, Two things have changed. He said, because I will hold every animal um, guilty for shedding the blood of humans. You know, we have people that are like, well, I don't understand why God got to put the dog down. The dog tore up a human. It's a divine edict. So the angels that must execute God's word must take that dog down. Yep, Sparky, inchworm, you get a bug, that inchworm is going out. Because God has God has, has established between himself and the earth and between angels and all of the angelic hosts that must take seed to the earth, he has established that nothing is higher than man. That's Satan's issue. You just got you then. Don't even want to ring a bell. Just grab the mic. No. So this is, so when we see that whole agenda, that animal, 
have more rights than people. This is where that's a whole satanic thing that elevates an animal above a person, even some people with their pets. I mean, they have humanized their pets to where that dog usually is uh, has a higher value to them than their children, than their families, and whatever. Aborted babies, of course. Of course. So let's, let, let's, let's work this out so we don't all go out there and throw your dogs away. I have a, I have a light dog. I like dogs. I like pets. And if I wasn't so busy, I'd probably have the most spoiled dog on the planet. You know, just coming right under the people who deify them. So, well, because there's a dog religion. Look it up. Dog cut. Cut. What was Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have a, a lot of Egyptian Ooh. elements. Yeah. So that's a dog cut. These are all reviving the, the rituals of the B.C. era of B.C. deities that Jesus took down on the cross. So let me make, make, make myself clear. Humanity's job is to preserve. Remember, we are the apocalyptic offspring of the Godhead. We must preserve creation. We must protect all of the, the beings of creation. We must do that. That's part of what God put us in the planet to do. So, yes, we should have animal rights. We should not have animal deification. People ought not to go to jail for killing a dog that bit them. See, so the humans are always lopsided. Humans, we, we, the scales are not us. But I will say this. The reason Satan needs animals like that and the, and the meaner the better is because they house his spirits until his spirits can earn the right to get in a person. But Dr. Price, can you prove that? Uh, Yeah. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any other beast of the feet. He was embodied in that serpent. Now, the question is, well, why why did God forgive him? Why did he choose the serpent? Because to us right now, we're seeing the serpent that has been mutated because of the judgment God put on. Right, right, right. But not the one that was like a dragon. And the Bible said he was a dragon. Revelation 12 said that old serpent, the dragon, you know, Satan, all of that. He, by the time God kicked him out, he had fully mutated into from the cherub God made to the anarchist that tried to take down his realm. He did not throw him out while he was still looking like Lucifer, because people would be like, man. I mean, I mean, he was our friend. We live in that now. World prophets, folks talking about David, how good this prophet was, to, but it wasn't good for the kingdom. <laughs> See, we are so in because they did not know beneath that skin this cherub is morphing. He's mutated. Beneath that skin, this cherub is literally divesting itself of everything the Creator gave it, and, and acting and, and investing itself with everything the Creator rejected. This is big Christian talk. Right, but, so, look, so everyday people, like you think you know when you're judging whether or not this one is right or that one. You think you know, but it takes discernment to say, hey, but your countenance has changed. Yeah. Hey, but your words are different. Yeah. Hey, but your attitude is different. Yeah. Hey, but your eyes are different. Hey, 
a while to recognize this cherub had changed because he still had an outward original physiology. So God let it go that way. He had to let it go that way because, first of all, when sin starts to deceive, and sin brings forth death when it's full grown. So all the while he was mutating and morphing, he kept his outward physiology. So the people were going by. That's why God talked about not looking at the outward appearance. That's what he's talking about. When he talked about not judging by the outward appearance, don't judge by the human and all of that, he's saying that because God is like, we lived it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, God knew when the seed hit Lucifer. He knew when the seed hit him. But people can't see that. And so as that seed begins to develop, it goes beyond its embryonic to its fetal to its full-grown a position taking on the powers, draining the powers of righteousness, draining the powers of holiness, draining the righteousness of God. So it's absorbing that for its own life. But the problem is there's no alternative to God. Or nothing there's an alternative that's incomparable. So everything that is taken from Lucifer is dying in Satan. Which is why he can only exude death. So here we are. Nobody knows that Lucifer has changed size, changed and is changing his own being. He said, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He said it from the beginning. And when he speaks of a lie, he is speaking of his own what? Resources. One scripture, one passage says his own creation or creature self. He but. And in, in breaking away from God, he brought another creature into existence that was not made by the Almighty. <laughs> Once he got that, he now needs to replicate because he's planning to take over. So now he is he's going around having this subtle campaign. See, a lot of this here, when he goes, that's how you know this is not God. Because I, I know this is a backstory. And if my knowledge of the backstory would say, that's not God. And you know what's so beautiful about it? When you understand God's backstory and you glorify him and saying he has no reason to lie. Come on now. Apostles and prophets. That's why when a prophet does that, they're replicated in small human form with God already lived. They change from it and they change their spirit. They change their heart. They change their mind. They change their will. And they do it volitionally. Oh, the only difference is Satan created it, but now he inseminates. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Wow. Oh. So when they, when you want to have, because we want to have all of these arguments, you cannot argue with me. I'm like, you got somebody who's suddenly like, Hallelujah, I love you, Jesus. I'm never gonna let you go to. Huh. I don't know why this is the only way. Oh, wow. I don't know what makes Moses right. Well, God speaks to me, too. Well, that's not how God has said to me. I mean, and over and over again, uh, and everything, first of all, they start with discontentment. Then they move from discontentment to criticism, from criticism to complaint. Are y'all catching this? And then from complaint to outright condemnation. 
They begin telling secrets. They begin pre- uh, sharing things. They begin, and they, then the last thing after condemnation is campaign. They go on a campaign to make their case so that they can convert their army. They're revolutionists. That's the process. That did not begin in this world, which is why God made hell. God said, God, God said hell was made for the devil and his angels. So if he had angels, he had to have converts. And we know that because it talks about his tail bringing, casting one-third of the angels to earth. Many people don't know that the dragon's tail is false prophecy. See, this is, if you don't know the if you, you don't know the Bible, you can't get its wisdom. Just because you can remember the Bible doesn't mean you know it. Just because you can quote it doesn't mean that you understand it. That, or that you can rightly apply it. When God said rightly divide or rightly apply the word of truth, he's like, the Bible can, uh, can listen, the Bible can give uh, uh, motivation to a killer, to a criminal, and a saint. But it's the holism. Holiness, when you talk about holy, you're actually saying holism. Now, if you tell somebody, and somebody said, I don't understand holy, do you understand holistic? Well, yeah. Okay, that, that started with God. Holy, God is holy. Yes. And so what is God saying? There's not a bit of Satan in me. Yes. There's not a lie in me. There's not an aspiration for anything but me. When Jesus said the prince of this world has come and he has nothing in me, he's saying Satan has fixed me like we. And he found nothing in me that he could use against me or others. Wow. I thought that. There you go. It is so. It is so. Oh wait a minute, hallelujah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. So when you talk, when when God talking about holy, the reason you don't you don't do nudity is not because you are thinking uh, because you're afraid that you're uh, you're gonna you know die or anything. You don't do nudity because that means that that what motivated that nudity. Is an implant or an engrafting of Satan that he's going to use later to take you out or to cause you, you, you to trip somebody else. Yeah. So you don't, you don't dress like Ishtar, Diana, all of the other quote-unquote goddesses. You know, the reason why goddesses are a problem, according to God, is that they're homosexual. These are, these are devils who have morphed themselves into feminine physique. So that they can seduce men. That is why illicit sex is a crime. Because it's provoked by a male spirit. You know, what the Bible in Ephesians 4.11, we talk about equipping the saints. Pastors equipped. Apostles and prophets equipping arms. If you fall after all of this, that's that's not a fall. That's a step down. You drop down, and that's on you. God is righteous, and you'll stand there and say, because you know when we want to kind of uh, modify our repentance, we want to say, but God, I didn't know. And Holy Ghost, cue the videotape. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can Do you remember this session? Woo. So you can, and a lot of you are hearing it, and you're like, well, gee, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I have the strength. I don't know. If you are born again, you have the strength. You just need to go and exercise. Um, Let your first exercise be no to the devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's your first exercise. When people ask me, do you know I do not do righteousness? Now, when I got born again, you know how we are. And um, when I don't do righteousness because I'm afraid of going to hell. It's because fear has torment. I have moved from fear to faith. Amen. And then I've moved from moving even from that faith to that being. So, because progressively, you get a, 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 a cell or a, a, a segment of regeneration every time you have a temptation and you don't, you don't fall for it. Then God puts, he puts another regenerative plug in you and another one. So that after a while, the idea of doing things becomes stupid to your brain. Like, that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why would I want to ask Okay, if you're addicted, you are addicted because you fell in love with the substance that took you off the book. It is not your mama, it is not your daddy, it is not your aunt, it is not the trauma, because otherwise that would have been a response for everybody who went towards you. You're addicted because the word addicted is only only in Scripture 1. Only in Scripture 1. And it's where Paul says, we are addicted to ministry. That's what he said. And so you're addicted because you're in love with the substance that took you off the book <laughs> for dealing with whatever it is you wanted to evade. And that addiction turned to a substance when you became an adult, tracked your, tracked your life backwards, and you're going to find you always had an addiction. Television, playing games, fighting with people, flirting, those were your addictions but they were more violent and more overt. So you took them from an external expression and you made them internal. And if you can find out what made you love it more than life, you can get free and stay free. Because addiction, by definition, is literally an idolatrous love for something else. Just look up the words. 3D. I have a whole thing 3D to help you. Now you can, you know, you can, they they can sit there. You can go to your psychologist chair. You can do your little round circle, you know, and couches all day long. But addiction is a voluntary solution to an agony or an event that you refuse to handle as a, a free will agent. So if you chose your free will agency to take you out the game, take you off the hook, unless you have been falsely drugged, you know, if you're in, you know, during prostitution and whatnot. But free will, you chose that, and you always chose to escape because you felt so inferior and ill-equipped to push back or defend yourself from what was going on. That is why you have to get your children born again as young as possible. So you need to make them apocalyptic and left young. Not send them to the church with the arcade for a children's church. Amen. Oh, come on. You say that. So when you think about who we are, I want to go all the way back to where we started because I laid out some principles as to why we are in a religion. The first reason we are in a religion is because unlike every other 
world religion we were sent to earth. The Holy Ghost brought us to earth. So we can't be like this. So we were, that's why he talked about what's sensual and earthly. The wisdom from above is sensual. This is earthly. This is this world. Why? Because like Jesus, we were sent to earth. I need you to drink on that. Just, just drink that. Sip that. Because that's a powerful statement. We were little. When the Holy Ghost came, all the pastors and, and the teachers could talk about is how we talked in tongues and had signs, wonders, and miracles. We didn't. We never talked about the, the super swift divine surgery that switched out our soul and switched out our spirit, took our old spirit, put a new spirit in, in less than a nanosecond. And we became new creatures. So the, when, when the Holy Ghost came, he brought every, every elect offering spiritual seed with him. In that mighty rushing wind, it was, and it was a portion and partition for generations and genealogies, etc. But we, the, that's why we can't be what they said. That's why Satan is working hard to put Jesus in the pantheon. They're working hard to take away our exclusivity. They're working hard to, to discredit our supremacy and our excellence as the offering. He knows where we came from. Uh-huh. And he knows what it means. And he knows what it will mean when we are all awakened in mass and fully aware of our identity and moving and active as the citizens of the world he forfeited. He knows. That's why he's working hard. He's not trying to mess with Islam. He is not trying to mess with Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism. He's not trying to mess with any of those universalism, anything that allows him to keep his word to the to the spirit that 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 risks their eternal life and their eternal existence and and a residence with him. He's got to have that. So, but the problem is none of those religions have the power of God. They want Christians because the Holy Ghost is in us, because we have a new spirit, and if they can fuse with that new spirit, they can siphon off the Godhead in us uh-huh. Uh-huh. and get a semblance, just a semblance of what they used to have when they were fully impacted by God's power. Wow. So that's why it's important that Christians apostatize. It's important that they compromise. All of that is important because you become their new utility source, their energy source. Wow. See, this pastor couldn't tell you. Uh, no. The reason that they all have to settle for drinking blood, animal blood, and all of that, was because they know in the blood take away that the, the, the corporeal material. You got pure energy, pure power however perverted, however denigrated it might be. So, see, I'm not afraid of going to hell. i got so much knowledge. I know that I don't belong in hell, and hell doesn't deserve me. Hell doesn't deserve me. I don't walk around saying that I'm a good person on my own merit. I I will tell you that I'm no longer the species that inherits hell. 
I'm a species of the God, and, 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 and telling you, and I don't do anything. You know, we've been told that you cannot mess up your spirit. That is a lie. Wow. You can contaminate your new creation spirit. See, and that lie came from a devil who tricked uh, uh, some Christian into saying it so that you would become careless about your new creation life. So I'm going to, because you know I'm going to tell y'all. Y'all learning? Facebook, yeah. social media, y'all rolling? Um, yeah. Y'all rolling with me, social media? It's somewhere. There it is. But, not, okay. Don't, let's just leave it alone. And so, here we are. If we tell you you don't have to worry about your job, how careful will you be about it? You'll take all sorts of changes and uh, make changes, risks and everything. But if we tell you that these are five things that will get you fired, guess what you will always remember? Five things. <laughs> so the strategy to get us to become casual and laissez-faire and all of that about our salvation is doctrine. That's why doctrine is, is, is I'm telling you, doctrine is treat, treatment or it is justifying. Because doctrine numbs you to righteousness. Wow. Or it spurs you to righteousness, yeah. depending on how you see it. So we have doctrine that tells us that you cannot, your spirit, once you get it, is totally saved, ready, etc. We got religions talking based on that, talking about once saved, always saved. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. If God kicked out Satan, mm-hmm. who didn't start lost? who didn't need redemption. One good thing about him allowing Satan to work it out, he found out why the spirit he made could not be redeemed. He said he does not give aid to angels because you can't redeem a spirit because the spirit is the archetypical construction that engineers everything that makes you who you are. That's why he has to kill our spirit. He said we slaughter spirits. Wow. We redeem souls. Now, this is a very, and I'm probably going to ask somebody with another translation too, but this is a very interesting statement. I'm going to read it to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Having therefore, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now in the Bible, flesh is soul. So he's like, cleanse your soul, but also in spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So does that sound like your spirit is like home free? It's written. So the person who tells you that you can't contaminate your spirit is actually misleading you because we the idea is that it's the Holy Ghost's job to be the scrubber and the cleanser. But sin must be accepted volitionally. It has to be your will. So the Holy Ghost is like, we gave you a great spirit. I gave you all of the the, um, the seeds, the light, the um, preventatives and precautions. I gave you all of that. But if you want to, then you can drop your own shield. Wow. And let what comes through your body to your soul penetrate your spirit. You can do that. So 
you know, and then because we're like, well, um, if we're born again, then we can't lose our, let me tell you something. You're not, your salvation is not based on your religion or your doctrine. Just because we talk telling you we're redeemed. We are redeemed, which means we are bought back from Satan. Who sold us, whom Adam sold us to in the garden. So we are redeemed. That means we're brought back. So we've got this new spirit. But understand, Jesus' spirit did not go to hell. His soul did. Right. So if you don't cleanse your soul, your new creation spirit means nothing. Mm-hmm. Here's another one I thought was very interesting to argue the point that once saved, always saved is a way for you to become sloppy with your salvation. It's to make you careless because you feel like it's all on God. It's most of the doctrines that you all have heard, that you all have heard over the years, has been 100% putting it all on God. But if God doesn't want me to do it, he'll take it. I think that we need to invert that because God didn't want you to do it. He didn't give it to you. And if you really want to serve God and please God, you wouldn't take it. So I like this. This is a past powerful statement, but I'm going to read it and let you see how you go. Um, it says here, Jude 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for doesn't sound like you in. Okay? And of some have compassion, making a, dis- a difference. And others, saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment. I think that's important. And originally, the file, this one is spotted. He's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. Now, I want you to understand why this is so important. Because if you stay in the theology, you will never ever be sanctified because the sanctification part has a divine technology. Wow. God is telling you how to purge your soul. He's telling you how to detox yourself from the world, how to detoxify yourself from the culture. All of this is about you literally detoxifying your soul and allowing your spirit to give you instructions and ways to do so so that you are qualified for eternal life. He said, made us need to be to be partakers. So God has moved us from it's almost like you and you know, you there's been a whole radiation thing. And they come and they remove you from the people who have it that are whatever's infectious and all of that. They remove you and they put us in an entire different order. And in that orb is total clean, total this, total that. And then they tell us, these are the things you must do every day. This is what you must eat. This is what you should never do, on and on. And we're in there, and somebody says, oh, I don't believe that that's serious. Mm. I don't believe that that's serious. I'm not, but I'm, and, and I love the saints that think they have a greater will than Satan. Oh, yeah. You always got the say. So what it makes Jude so interesting is that Jude is the Lord's brother. As the Lord's brother, if you just take and let your mind have a fun excursion thinking about what two brothers are, the older brother um, sharing, talking to, to the younger one. 
Because Jew writes like he's one of the Old Testament rabbis. Yes. So does Jay. Their writing is markedly different for New Testament documents. And the only thing in the New Testament that it almost comes close to is Hebrews, written by Paul. So here we go. Jude is the Lord's brother. Now I want you to think about that. Imagine you the elder brother, the elder sister, and we're cleaning, and you're asking questions, and he's mentoring. These men were super mentored to be who they are in Jesus Christ long before he ever came out. That's why they said to him, I believe it's in John 7, why don't you go to the feast? How come you're not showing everybody what you can do? How come you're not like you? Right. Well, you know, when you read with a blind mind, you're thinking, what are they talking about? Because if you're not making a connection, it says his brothers, which means that Jesus was 24-7, this eternal being, in their household. Wow. So they are more... Like the apostles said, we're eyewitnesses. Yeah, the apostles would be because as eyewitnesses of what Jesus did, the apostles distinguished themselves from them because the apostles got the Jesus who came back from the wilderness with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the fire to train them. So now they're brought into Jesus' pre-carnate life and pre-carnate wealth. His brothers, on the other hand, are in his incarnate life. And they know that their brother is like spirit. <laughs> they have watched him do things, and he shared things with them because he knew one day James was going to be on the Jerusalem council. And he knew one day Jude was going to be in a similar capacity. And so he met through that. He merges the two spheres of himself. Chief apostle. Okay. I know. Yeah, I know. And I'm telling you, I know we got I got the brotherhood out there because y'all just stuck in your carnal cell. You just stuck in your carnal cell. Bless your little sanctified heart. But I'm going to tell you something. Great leaders never get locked on the external. That is why we have great leaders that will take folk that the world rejects. Jesus took all those rejects because he said the external are cover stories. But it's the eternal or the internal that are our weapons and operations. Because you don't operate from your skin. You operate from your soul. You operate from your heart. You operate from your brain. You don't operate from your skin, your bones. All of that is the sheet to cover what's going on with you. So let's go back. Jude is the Lord's brother. So how, think about how Jesus must have told him about the angels that did not keep their first estate. Think about what nighttime classes and dinnertime talk was about. Think about because, you know, Jesus is Jesus. So he's who he is. Like, I don't spend a lot of time with people outside of what I'm doing in my job because I'm this all the time. I'm not working from, from some sort of a script or whatever. I'm not working from 10 people's different CDs or DVDs or Internet. I'm working.
me. That's why you look at this. I, you, I, I have milk. There are no milk. No, no, no. I have one slide up there. And it's just to keep y'all so y'all can, you know. <laughs> because you reach a place in God where retention is no longer an obligation. So I'm not working on just retention. I'm working on existence. I am this man's appendage. I am who he is. And I, I prayed for it. You know, I didn't know it was going to be so hard, but I prayed. You know? And I said, I want to be you in this planet. Many people, I want to be like Jesus. I want to think like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. You know, we kind of dissect him. But I don't. I want to be the fullness of this man in this planet. Because it's only when I'm his fullness, like those apostles were his fullness, that we can change the world. Otherwise, we're just treating the world. Oh, I don't want to just treat the world. I want to change it and, and, and change its composition. That is what, that's what the Satan said. They changed it by being 100% like Satan. Mm-hmm. Wow. The issue is that they are taught that Satan is God, that Satan is himself. I'm thinking, well, if he can, why does he keep having erosion for a thing called death? Failure, entropy. Why? I mean, if he's top, why do things keep dying? Why? Why is his population rotting away? Why is his population far apart? You can say we're Christians too. Yeah, we are, but we brought life. He does not care about killing babies, sodomizing infants. He needs that because he has a bigger deal to meet with those angels that fell with him. You think it's about you. No, he owes them. Because what does the Bible say in Ezekiel? I think it's Ezekiel, uh, either Ezekiel or Isaiah. He said, but hell, hell beneath is waiting for you. Those, those kings that died on your line, they're waiting for you. They can't wait for you to get there and not celebrate. They're going to whoop your behind forever. Because you caused them to lose and you led them in a lie and they, are, they have no way to fix that. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Yeah? So and I say this to you because you need to understand what you are risking for superficial whatever. It's like making the lotion on your body more important than the blood in your veins. That's what we do. We make the lotion on our body. Well, you know, this is this is $10,000 oil. God doesn't care if it's a million dollar oil, and you won't either if you get the key. So, you're, and that's the whole message of God. He's saying, guys, you're making the external. Yes. More important than the eternal. And while you're in the earth, that works. But notice that no matter how expensive your lotion, your skin still ages. Right. Right. <laughs> Many of us would think we look good for our age. Even you all who are in your early 30s, you're looking fine until you go to that album to see your little high school picture. Oh, you know. Know. Oh. 
gone to Antioch. But his disciples were so thoroughly converted that they had to call them after his name. Today, we have to say, are you a Christian? And what kind of Christian are you? I just want everybody to roll with me. What kind of Christian are you? We have to now define what kind of Christian you are. But just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're an elect. Doesn't mean you're chosen. You're just going by the man's name. There are a whole lot of divorced people, divorced women, who are still going by their husband's name because it works. But they aren't in the family. They don't show up for dinner. They don't come to holidays. Nobody tells them anything. They are just using the name. So see, because you know you can't get this in a lot of places. Oh, no. So see, we have that. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Likewise, there's the adopted child who was born by a drug addict mom and an alcoholic father who lived in all kinds of squalor, who can't understand a good meal if you just tried to paint it for them, and they're adopted by a well-to-do family. The first thing they get is the name, and that name gives them access to everything. That is true. Wow. That is true. Doesn't it? And all of a sudden, all the people who hated them, the relatives that didn't like them, etc., that name upgrades their image and upgrades their perception in everybody's eyes. That's true. And so when you're adopted, you get in a house. No, you're not going to sleep on the floor. You're going to do that for a few months, but eventually we bought you this wonderful overpriced bed. You can't get this bed. <laughs> you're going to wear these clothes. They will let you keep one or two things that you need for your psychological stuff. God lets us keep a lot of stuff until we outgrow the need or dependency for the church. This is redeemed. This religion gives you nothing. Everybody, taught, even when I was studying how this started, the idea of religion did not start with people being given anything by grace. There, there was no such thing as faith. When you look in the Bible and you read grace and faith, that's because that comes from God, because those other things are mandate, obedience, and threat. There's no idea of being loved by the God you worship. The idea is you better obey if you want to get stuff. Is this not true? So we... So we can't fit the category of a religion because we don't have the crit, the criteria or the markers of a religion. Mm. We don't. As a matter of fact, when you read the Bible, the only time religion is used in the New Testament is by James, and he said if you don't have love, this man's religion is vain. Mm-hmm. And so we think that, that James is endorsing religion. He's saying that you are not redeemed. Right. That, re- that religion is replaced your redemption. And a lot of saints are calling, like we call ourselves a religion, you know, and, and the world did that. The world decided to downgrade our redemption to a religion because if they kept us at redemption, we would be apocalyptic. We'd be over there. We'd be their sovereign, seated in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Is this helping you all? Because I, I really... 
um, I really need you to have a sense of how to explain. Now, I, I do all of these broadcasts. I share all these stuff. I'm the majority of even my near folks don't listen. But this is the future, whether you like it or not. It is. This is the future. This is the future because everything that you're doing has been in God's past a long time. Now, how do you know if there's a future or the past? When the past stops populating, when it stops drawing, when it stops being financed, when it stops having the the backing of heaven, you stop getting the miracles, you stop getting clarity, you stop getting visitations, you stop. See, when you look at all all of the cessation of what was once prolific, all the things that God ceased doing. When you look at that and you start looking at the fact that there's been for over two decades a hunger for the word of God, a famish, a famine. He said, I've been a famine in the land, not of food. He said, but of the word of God, of hearing God. And people are walking around wanting to hear from God. And when the people of God, because God has ceased to do what brought them that far, tend to turn to the witch of Endor, mm-hmm. tend to turn to the gods of the nations and, and all of that, that lets you know that move is gone. Now, how do you recognize that? If I can say this to you, the first thing God does is he pulls his spirit, his angel, the Holy Ghost will stay there for a while in a custodial capacity. But the angels that make it happen, because when God kicks off a new move, he assigns angels to it. And so he takes away the heavenly hope. And Jesus said that. He said, you deny me before men, I will deny you before the, what? Before the Father and the holy angels. So the first thing he pulls back on the angels, which is why the miraculous sign, which is why people stop hearing your message and stop liking it or stop being affected by it. Mm. So then smart people, often the uh, magi, because they, they always know who's coming in and out and what's getting ready to encroach upon their territory. But the smart Christ- people, the smart Christians will tell you because they have been watching the turn down. And sometimes it's so gradual and so subtle, you don't realize it's a turn down. And then they'll tell you God is doing something new. And he always starts something new, small. And he knows that the success of what he has done in the past has become the, the, the uh, measure of, his, of success for the future. They forget God starts the new and the old. He starts new babies come out of old womb, and little babies to be adults over into the world. So they are so busy spoiling. Like when they start talking about me, but this is a cult, this isn't God and all of that. The reason I can say they don't know God is because God has never varied his pattern. Mm. He still honors his pattern because he's God. He's like, I structured the the world to work this way. This is the way it works. So when I'm done with the old, he packs it up. Zechariah has a very poignant account of how God is closing out and getting ready to move out of Israel. He's just moving out, like you, like we do. And it talks about how all the lights go out and all of the things that, that were part of the rituals and, and part of what kept them in good step with God are totally, you know, shut down. But the part that gets me is when it says, 
the Spirit of the Lord left the altar and went to the doorstop. Yes, yes, yes. And he wants to see if they're going to miss him. They don't. They're glad he's gone. Phew, boy, that was too hard. That hard time religion. I can't take that. And so you see over and over again when you read the prophets something that you all really have never done, so you can't hear us. So you are charging us with error and heresy based on something you have never read. You have never read the prophets. And you can't read them because unless God gives you a special grace, they just sound crazy. You want to go to sleep. You want to go eat. You want to watch television. Can we turn on the radio? You can't handle what they say. I don't care how easy the translation. So you have never read the prophets, and you're going to tell us how to be a prophet. You know pastors. And the reason you know pastors is not by what is written. Because what's written about pastors was written by prophets and apostles. There is that. Jeremiah wrote about shepherds. He did. Ezekiel wrote about shepherds. So nobody is telling you to go to the shepherd to learn about shepherds. We hand that off. Now, are you against pastors? No, I started as a pastor, and I still do pastor. I'm a shepherd more than I pastor. Yeah, Trust me, I like it like that. <laughs> and yes, I am looking for a quality apostolic prophetic pastor, but not of the old move. Because you have to, if you're an apostle or prophet, you have to be very careful about the pastor you choose because the nature of the pastor is to gather the flock to succor the flock and to bring the flock into their being. And if they are unjust or unfaithful, they will rip your church. Because, and the reason you want to be careful is the only mass of the body of the Christ, the body of Christ knows. I'm saying this to somebody in Africa right now. I see you, you're in Africa, South Africa. And I'm telling you, you all need to change how you're putting pastors as apostles and prophets. You need to change how you're putting pastors in place. Because that is why you keep having all these contentions. There is actually, there is actually somebody on from South Africa who said we're on from South Africa. Well, I just want you to know that God wants to visit South Africa, but you're going to have to stop falling back on traditional religion because God says there is a flame coming to South Africa. He said that it's going to break yoke like never before. God says that I'm going to break down the monetary value. He said I'm feeding land back to people because it shouldn't have been taken. He said the only reason he has a wound is that you have not given him an infrastructure that he can work with through the church. When you get that infrastructure right, the nations are going to pour into you because he said to tell you, I have not forgotten you. I'm looking at pastors in the bush. I'm looking at pastors in the mountains. I'm trying to tell you that the holdup is not gone. Jesus said, I've been waiting. I've sent people to try to give you schematics, but you keep falling back to what is traditional and what is comfortable. He said, but if you listen to me, I will put your, your land on the map again. He said, and the nations will honor you, and you will have your seat among the nations, says the Holy Ghost. Come 
about you because you can take the word to your nation. So listen, I want you to hear me. As apostles and prophets, the only mantle that the church knows is the mantle of the prophet. The reason apostles works and apostles prophets work keep dying is because you want to, you want to plant like you're doing in vitro or uh, uh, fertilization. You just want to drop your sperm in the tube and let it be planted anywhere. But that's not God. Paul stayed with his churches for years yes. before he left them because he knew the mantle of the apostle and prophet had to be established as a foundation because that's how God does things. So what you all have been doing is you all have been planting churches and dropping pastors, planting churches and dropping pastors. Yeah. You have to understand that that creates a real bond with the past and a familiar spirit. The pastors are the familiar mantle. So you're losing the work you're starting through familiarity. I don't know who this is for. That is why I yet don't have a pastor. Not classic pastor. I want one. But I know that the body of Christ, all of the things that I have been trying to uproot out of these people and trying to establish in them, they will all be awakened with that pastor's mantle. Wow. And eventually they will start saying, Dr. Price is hard. The apostles are too hard. What did they say? Look at Gaius and John. Because people, it is, it is human nature to want to be coddled and cuddled to be indulged. That is human nature. But if you're talking about uh, something's going to keep the kingdom, we've got to get them beyond that. That's important. So as we go on, even in talking about where God is going, I'm telling you this is serious. The Spirit of God has sent the flame to South Africa. It's leaving my body even as we speak. It's running through my heart and it's coming through my spirit. This land is about to get a real awakening, and I want you to know that land is going to be blessed. He said, because I'm moving through Africa. He said, I will bring them back. He said, many people have forgotten that Africa is a cradle of civilization, and they have been brought under. We keep talking about how Israel was brought under. That's true. That's right and just. But God took down Africa so that he could birth and share his greatness with the nation. He said, but Africa has suffered long enough. He said, I'm coming into Africa by my spirit. He said, and I'm a sin warrior like you have never seen. I, I see angels running on the walls of Africa. I see them running around the continent. One of the reasons God had to suffocate and suppress Africa was because as a crater, it's the first of strength. The Bible said Reuben was the first of, of, of the strength, the firstborn. Africa was the firstborn of all nations. I'm telling you, I don't know how he going to do it. He said, but my, I'm breathing on the land, even as we think. Glory to God. I'm breathing on the land right now. And I see the breath of God. I'm telling you, the warriors that are coming to Africa, there's not a civilized nation that can back you down. God had to strip the Africans. He had to break their strength. Because as the first, they had the cunning and they had the strength. God said, and I'm sending a spirit of unity. He said, if you want me to do this, I need you to go tribe by tribe, nation by nation, state by state. I need you to unify, to come up with a unified African constitution for the continent so that there, nobody can do it. He said, I need you to come into one mind. If you come into one mind, he said, I know I can trust my government to you. I'm telling you, Africa, your days of sorrow 
have ended, and we are about to take the nations. I want you to understand God had to stop the Africans. He had to, because no other nation would have survived it. In the name of Jesus. I baptize you, continent of Africa, into the newness of Jesus Christ. I baptize you into what you are called to be. I baptize you as a future head of the government of the nation. People are not ready for this. It may not be a year. It may not be 10 years. But I promise you, it will not be 20 years. You can believe this word because the continent, not only is God changing the people and changing the population, he's changing the ecology. He, he literally stopped your land from being as fruitful as you needed. The ecology is changing. You're going to watch your waters are going to change. You're going to watch your rivers are going to change. I promise you, Africa, by the word of the living God, you shall rise, and the nation should be where, because you are next in line, in the name in the name of Jesus, everybody's looking at all of the finished works that God has done, they're looking at all of the finished and settled civilizations, but God said, my power shows in the premises, my power shows in the crude, he said, I'm going to do it, I see absolutely gorgeous buildings coming up out of it, I see corporate towers up in there, I'm telling you, because your time and oppression your time in rejection. He said, I'm going to marry myself to this country. They may know that there is a God in Africa who is unlike your ancestral this and your ancestral that. I promise you, the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is my land. He said, I've been, I created in that land. I started everything in that land. And now I'm ready to come back and finish the work that I started, thus is the war for the continent of Africa. And if you all get together and put together a task force for the continent and then the nation and then your city, and you all come together with a unified, uniform constitution, God said, I'll breathe on it if you commit to it. My God. I wrote a book that nobody knows I wrote on statesmanship. And God said, in the book, he said, a nation must first come to terms with the God of the land. And that's what God has given you all an opportunity to do. And he's starting it with South Africa. I don't know why. You all probably know why. But I'm telling you, if you unify your continent, God said, I'm going to give you back the station and the place that you had in the world. Mm-hmm. It is this time. And it's interesting because it's not about us here in America. It's not about the black people scattered abroad. That's, that's secondary. Because see, we've been in all of this stuff that you all haven't had. We've been in wealthy nations. What we've done with it is pathetic. But we've built been in wealthy nations. 
We've been made wealthy. We have been in the developed countries with medicine and hospitals and all of that. I mean, God has a major hospital that he's going to put in that nation that's going to multiply itself through clinics. It will not be like those makeshift stuff y'all got to have. This is not that. And I can tell you by the spirit of the Lord that Africa, the continent, must be the new wealth land in the planet. That's why you have to raise your people up. You're going to have to educate your people, prepare them to rule, but prepare them to keep, prepare them to participate, prepare them. Because it's, it's your time. I know people have prophesied other places, but I'm telling you right now, God is showing me that. I'm telling you, I've never been there. I'm not even, I can't even say, I've even talked about it a lot. You know, the best I got from y'all is the color of my skin. But I'm going to tell you. <laughs> that's, that's all we got. We got nothing. The best we got from y'all is, and, and some of that's not even still any longer. So now we got some drops to color. Little piece of pigment. Inspired by African. <laughs> Inspired by African descent. But I'm telling you, this will not be easy for you. Not because. You cannot do it, not because God can't, but you have a lot of spiritual work and a lot of literal warfare. But even the, the, the cruelest people and the cruelest tribes in your land, I'm telling you, God said, I can strike that and change it in a moment. He said, but I need to know that if I get started with you all, especially with South Africa, if I get started with you all, will I be able to finish? Will you stay with me? until I finish, because he will do it nation by nation. And it's important that you understand that God is going to get started. When he does, he expects you all to do it. I pray for the leaders that he tasked to do this. I pray for the thinkers and the thought leaders. I pray right now for the ambassadors, for the diplomats, that we can get that that ancient spirit, because all those spirits on you all, those are spirits of judgment. Now God is wants to remove those spirits and replace them with the powers that make you great. He's going to change your principality. So a lot of the things that you have, that have become custom, that have become norms, they're going to change. And he's going to change them because he's sending in new principalities. He's sending in new spirits, new archangels, new angels. And they are not angels that have never done this before. So they're coming in for miracles. That is why the leaders, you're going to have to be very circumspect as God moves into this, because it's going to start January 1. Now, they won't be finished maybe for decades or two. I'm not giving you that. It's overnight. So many times, we, you know, people say that. But, no, it's a process, changing a people's heart, changing a people's consciousness, changing a people's uh, 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 culture, changing even their deity and their faith or their, their believing in Jesus and still doing the ancestral things. See, all of that takes time. Yeah. So I pray for the preachers. I pray for the ministers. I pray for the priests, the apostles and prophets that are coming in that land, the missionaries that are coming in. I pray for because you're going to get a new breed. Because you have to hear this. This has to be a new breed. So all of those old ones that you're in love with and blah, blah, they helped you, but they didn't help you. They just set you, made you feel good in your oppression. That's not what God is doing. Right. That is not what God is doing. You have a hope now. 
I don't know who your intercessors are. They've been praying and praying that God would touch the land. And they need a hope. Some of them are dying. You have about 8 to 12 of them that are dying. And they're going to be like the Simeon and the Anna. They're going to see the Lord's salvation. They're going to know they've been hurt. And they will say, I can go to my grave in peace. But I know that this is done. Every curse that has been prayed over you, God has literally destroyed it. Now, how do you destroy a curse? You kill the spirit that's sent to carry it out. So there are spiritual executioners that God has that you all have been under to keep you oppressed, to keep you cheated, to keep you locked, robbed. They are, come on, somebody, you got to hear me. I'm telling you, this is your time. This is recovery on the, on literally on the massive scale. So all of those things that have been oppressing you, God is switching out your spiritual God. He's switching out your natural God. He's making it so. Because we, we, most of us don't even know how God changes the land. We don't even know how God does what he says. We don't even know how he's fulfilling what he's fulfilling. But I'm telling you, God needs two things from you. Actually, three. Number one, he needs agreement that you agree with him. Your land is ready to come out from under the yoke of oppression. That's the number one thing. And you can't agree with your mouth. He's going to ask each and every one of you to prove it because you have to give him something. You have to give him something to cut this covenant and to negotiate this contract. You have to give him a reason to send send the spirits of uncleanness and the devils, et cetera, to send them away. That's the first thing. Second thing, you're going to have to uh, literally bow your fidelity because this is not going to be a short thing. And some of you all, your warriors are going to have to get back in war school and be really good at doing this. So you have to bow your fidelity. And the last thing God needs, and that is your determination. You cannot waver. Because it's behind the scenes. This is kind of like Daniel, uh, Daniel 10. Behind the scenes, God will be doing battle with all of those dark forces that have been ravaging you all, all of them. And you're going to be surprised to see how it's going to show up in the natural. But I say to you, you have to give him something. I don't know what it is, and I believe that the leaders to begin to manifest it will be told what to give him. And you're going to have to give God something. And I don't mean your, uh, your patronic God. I don't mean your ancestors. You've got to give God's son something to let him know it's worth muscling and marshalling the forces that he's got to do for a continent as large as yours. Oh, no, y'all got to give him something. You need to figure out what that is. Hey, God, I've come to the end. I have no idea that God wanted to do this, but he's been giving me words for nation for two days. So I'm thinking I'm probably going to be giving y'all more. But... The one thing that I want to say to everybody here, God calls the next in line. There's going to be a whole lot of fakes and false starts and all of that. We're going to think it's over here and it's over here. We all thinking it's all Africa. That's a scary thought. Isn't that a scary thought? But God is getting ready to do something so magnanimous. So I promise you, I promise you that when God gets finished, the Bible.